good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, November 4th. In today's news, McDonald's fires its CEO over a consensual relationship with a subordinate. Bernie Sanders takes a shot at Elizabeth Warren's plan to pay for Medicare for all. And the Kentucky governor's race is a test of whether all elections have become nationalized in the Trump era. But first, the big idea. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney's allies in the administration plan to stonewall and obstruct the impeachment inquiry as much as possible this week in a bid to ingratiate themselves with President Trump. Russ Vogt, a Mulvaney protege who leads the White House Office of Management and Budget, intends a concerted defiance of congressional subpoenas, and two of his subordinates will follow suit. The OMB is at the nexus of the impeachment inquiry because Democrats are pressing for details about why the White House Budget Office effectively froze funds for Ukraine that Congress had already appropriated. Vote, who serves in an acting capacity in the job Mulvaney previously held, has sought to build a relationship with the president for some time. Two White House officials say that he sees standing firm against the impeachment inquiry as a way to bolster his standing internally. Trump has grown enraged that many of his employees, as he refers to them, are going to Capitol Hill and testifying. A person who regularly talks with the president tells us that Trump has been asking for copies of witness statements so that he can decide how to criticize people. And he's been complaining that government lawyers aren't doing enough to block executive branch employees from cooperating with valid subpoenas. Trump even encouraged members of Congress to question the credibility of political appointees in his own administration. As White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham said on Fox News this weekend, quote, he is the war room. Congressional Republicans are also predicting that Mulvaney's deputy, Robert Blair, will refuse to show up for his scheduled deposition later today before impeachment investigators, though a White House spokesman and Blair's attorney didn't respond to questions about his plans. Blair was on the July 25th phone call when Trump asked Ukraine's president for a, quote, favor of investigating Joe and Hunter Biden. Michael Duffy, one of Vote's subordinates who has been called to testify on Tuesday and also plans to ignore the summons, signed the document that froze the aid to Ukraine, even though professional staff warned him that doing so could be illegal, according to administration officials. Duffy is the former executive director of the Wisconsin Republican Party. Adding to the intrigue, Trump suggested on Sunday afternoon that he is thinking about shutting down the federal government again later this month. He told reporters as he arrived back at the White House after a day in New York that he wouldn't rule out directing another shutdown when funding runs out on November 21st if negotiations with Democrats don't give the results he wants. Last year, we had a shutdown during Christmas. This year, we could have a shutdown during Thanksgiving. And that's the big idea. Never a dull moment. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, McDonald's announced last night that it fired its chief executive, Steve Easterbrook, after the fast food giant's board of directors found that he, quote, demonstrated poor judgment in a consensual relationship with one of his employees. The board voted to oust the CEO following a review, concluding that he violated the company's policy against manager relationships with direct or indirect reports. Easterbrook called his recent relationship with an employee a mistake in an email to all McDonald's employees that went out last night. He said what he did was at odds with the value of the company, so it makes sense that he got fired. 
McDonald's hasn't shared further details about the relationship. Easterbrook, a former head of the company's UK operations, is divorced. Companies have been implementing stricter rules about dating subordinates in the Me Too era. Last year, for example, Intel's CEO was forced out for breaking his company's rules by having a consensual relationship with a staffer. McDonald's says that details of Easterbrook's severance package will be disclosed in an SEC filing by the close of business tomorrow. Last year, he made $15.9 million. Number two, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, rivals for the affections of the left, are increasingly making careful but unmistakable efforts to distinguish themselves from each other. Sanders' campaign is seeking to find a balance, voicing differences with Warren while refraining from overly sharp attacks. Unlike Sanders' disagreements with Joe Biden, which his aides are eager to amplify, they're treading much more carefully around Warren. That's why Bernie's interview with ABC News on Sunday was striking. He criticized Warren's new plan for funding Medicare for All. She released it on Friday to separate herself from him by avoiding the middle-class tax hikes that he admits his plan would require. Sanders told ABC that his approach of raising the payroll tax is actually far more progressive than Warren's method of jacking up the wealth tax. He also took issue specifically with Warren's proposal that businesses would be required to redirect their current health care payments to the Medicare program. Sanders says this would hurt job growth. Asked about Sanders' criticism during a gaggle, Warren sought to reaffirm their shared outlook. She said they both want the same thing. But she disputed Sanders' contention that her plan would hurt employers, saying they'll pay slightly less than they do now and would save on human resources costs associated with wrangling with insurance companies. That might be wishful thinking. After claiming on Saturday that only billionaires would pay more in taxes under her plan, Warren acknowledged on Sunday this is not the case. Meanwhile, Pete Buttigieg is backtracking from his declaration over the weekend that the race is now between him and Warren. But the mayor of South Bend continues to train much of his fire on the senator from Massachusetts. He said during a bus tour yesterday that her Medicare for All plan is a bad idea that could cost Democrats the 2020 election. Last night, Sanders campaigned in Minnesota before a crowd of more than 10,000 with one of his prized endorsers, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And the Vermont senator plans to travel back to Iowa next weekend with another member of the so-called squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Warren, trying to show that she can get star power, too, was introduced in Davenport, Iowa last night by another liberal member of the freshman class, Katie Porter, who knocked off a Republican incumbent in a swing district in Orange County, California, last year. Porter was one of Warren's favorite students at Harvard Law School. Number three. As Andy Bashir campaigned through eastern Kentucky over the weekend, The Democratic candidate for governor was well aware that he didn't have much time to deliver his message before Trump arrives for a rally in the state tonight and attempts to suffocate it. In speech after speech in rural counties, Bashir delivered his closing message to voters in less than five minutes. He promised to expand health care, support teachers in public education, and stop the hard-edged divisive politics that have consumed Kentucky and the nation over the past few years. But he'd never mentioned Trump once or the impeachment inquiry targeting him. Nationally, more Americans favor impeachment slightly than not. But in Kentucky, more than two in three voters are against it. Trump carried the bluegrass state in 2016 by 30 points. I spent four days in the state following around Bashir and the Republican governor, Matt Bevan. Bevan had been trailing in the polls by high single digits, but the race has been tightening ever since Nancy Pelosi launched the impeachment inquiry. The inquiry is activating Republican voters who otherwise might have stayed home in the off-year election. 
Both sides agree that the issue may wind up putting Bevin narrowly over the top. Bevin has been talking more and more about impeachment, even though a governor has nothing to do with that. And Trump is expected to fill one of the state's largest arenas tonight for an election eve rally where he'll focus on the issue as well. Democratic strategists say Bashir's path to victory relies on boosting turnout in Louisville and Lexington, home to the University of Kentucky, while replicating the gains that Democrats made nationwide last year in the suburbs, including outside of Cincinnati. But Bashir, who's backed by an army of teachers who strongly opposed Bevin's efforts to change their pensions, also believes he can win back some of the working class, rural, non-college educated voters who have defected toward Republicans. Many of these voters still are registered Democrats, but they overwhelmingly support Trump. But Trump has accelerated the long-term political realignment down the ballot as well, pulling many people who maybe voted for Republicans in federal elections but Democrats in state elections toward the GOP. Tomorrow offers a test of whether any Democrat can win any more in a place like Kentucky, even for down-ballot non-federal races. On Saturday, Bashir spoke at a breakfast gathering sponsored by the Democratic Women's Club in Pike County, which is located in the state's eastern coal country. The room was packed with diehard Democrats, but many acknowledged that they're facing a more dire political environment than a decade ago. Andy Bashir's father, former Kentucky Governor Steve Bashir, carried Pike County with 71% of the vote in 2007. Less than a decade later, Trump won 81% of the vote in this county. Patsy Wagner, the president of the Pike County Democratic Women's Club, noted that the group's membership has plunged from 400 members in 2012 to a little more than 150 today. She said Bashir's really well-liked, and people want change, and they don't like the current governor. But she doesn't know if Bashir can pull it out, because people like Trump there so much. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, November 4th. I'm James Holman. Thanks for listening. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.